the Vicarious Visions people are like, oh yeah, we were going to do Tony Hawk 3 plus 4, and then Activision Blizzard bought us and said, nah, we just do Call of Duty and Blizzard games, and then like the next day, the new Diablo, like, pay-to-win app comes out, and it's like, it's the worst Metacritic score, like, currently ever. Isn't that great? Isn't isn't that timing so perfect? Interesting. I would have liked Tony Hawk three and four more. To get a legendary gem in their loot box system took some dude like sixteen grand. That's ridiculous. Yeah, sure, sure is a definite scam. Do you want anything? Good man. You've had one slice of cheese. Yeah. All day. You're an effective killing machine. Particularly if you're a cheese. Are you content? Is it no. working? Yes. Oh, that's good. We've been recording for a minute thirty now. Do you remember the zoo level of Tony Hawk 4? Kind of. That's, that's a good level if you go past the binocular binoculars which I instinctively go to mispronounce to annoy people now and now I'm worried I'm the problem because it's become a habit if you go past them there's a there's a quick hard cut of just like a hippo mounting another hippo and then the game continues it's amazing ladies and future boys welcome to the school for wayward nerds the only podcast that knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men my name is Toby DePaula and this week I am biting the bullet for a couple of weeks, I've been binging a podcast called Choice Classic Radio. Um, it's a collection of old radio shows from around like the early fifties. I enjoy it for its vibe. Um, just you know, you get like simplified Philip Marlowe kind of noir crime mysteries, but you know, simplified down into like twenty minute chunks with old timey commercials that um are like fucking stupid. Me. But something stands out in the bunch of the detective ones. Um, in amongst all your Boston Blackies, your Richard Diamonds, and yours truly, Johnny Dollars, there is something else. Something that is just littered with comic book sci-fi. Things like invisibility and zombies and time stream altercations. Um, despite the quality of radio shows from about 70 years ago, they still hold my attention. So let's do a bit of a character layout for Lamont Cranston, The Shadow. One of the hardest to Google characters I've ever had the pleasure of covering on this podcast. <laughs> Joining me on this episode, in which I try to summarize almost a century of media at this point, is my friend and companion, the lovely producer Kyle. Hi. Hi. So, my quest to understand the shadow starts in radio, but weirdly not the radio show that I've referenced like three times on this episode already. Um, the ball starts rolling with Detective Story Magazine. This pulp was exactly what it sounded like. A magazine of detective stories. Oh, who Begin- would have guessed it? Beginning in 1915 and published by Street and Smith. Um, you know, see, in 1930, to boost the sales of this magazine, they decided they wanted to do radio dramas, similar to what Batman is doing on Spotify right now. Me. Um... They hired a few people, David Chrisman from uh, Ruth Raff and Ryan Advertising Agency, mm-hmm. and a writer-director named William Sweets, and said, hey, adapt our anthology series to radio. Mm. So they said, yeah, sure, we'll do that. 
and I started working on it, but decided the show needed an Elvira. Um, you know, a familiar character to host, you know, to bookend the random stories they would air. Like the dude at the start of Twilight Zones. Yeah. Um, some ideas were suggested. The Inspector or the Sleuth, but they didn't have the, um, the gravitas, you know? Mm-hmm. So, one person named... Oh, the scriptwriter, sorry. Named Harry Engman Charlotte suggested the shadow it was simple it was mysterious so um credit to him there yeah um so hiya we're, we're like a little mystery here but did it work did detective story magazine hour boost the sales of detective story magazine no fuck no i brought up elvira for a very specific reason see on july 31st the shadow introduced a tale called the serpent stings he was oh, on July 31st, the Shadow introduced a tale called The Serpent Stings. Um, it was voiced by James Lacurto, and after a few months he was replaced by Frank Reddick Jr. Um, it did well, but um, when fans rocked up to their local newsstand, they weren't asking for Detective Story magazine. They were asking for that Shadow Detective magazine, you know, the one from the radio. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, see, his presence far surpassed the tales he was hosting. You know, similar to Elvira, who is usually more interesting than whatever shit she is putting in front of us that week. Like the tomato one. Yeah, the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. That's a terrible movie. Yeah. What about Egar, I think it's called. This caveman escapes into the suburbs. Mm. Um, yeah, so... I've, I've seen that movie before. It was called um, Encino Man. No, no, this is older than Encino Man. No, I saw Encino Man first. I didn't know what that word meant, so when I was a kid, it, like, something lost to time called, like, Blockbuster and Civic Video and stuff. I was like, what's what's an echidna, man? I, feel like, I was reading it like echidna. I feel like Blockbuster and that are more popular now than when they were open. Well, you took them for granted back then. We had, like, some shitty mum and pop version. But dude, he didn't like kids in his store. It's like, we're fucking giving you money, dickhead. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah. Alright, so Street and Smith saw this demand for the shadow and hired Walter B. Gibson, a newspaper man and sometime magician, to give the fans what they wanted. Under the pen name Maxwell Grant, Walter would write a fucking novel-length story twice a month for almost 20 years. And I'm, and I'm talking, like, longer than the first few series of Unfortunate Event books every time. <laughs> Yep, seriously, of the 325 issues, he wrote 282 of them. That's, that's some Alexander Hamilton shiz. He's a busy man. Walter is credited as the creator of The Shadow because he was, you know, he was just a voice before um, before Walter started his run. Yeah. He, he, gave, w- he gave them a story. He laid out the groundwork, yeah. From 1931 till 1949, Walter B. Gibson, along with Theodore Tinsley... Bruce Elliott, um, would, they would write about a man wearing a black coat and fedora with a big red scarf and a pair of automatic pistols who would strike fear into the hearts of crooks, villains, mad scientists, and probably communists as well. Yay. So the pulp magazine ran steady for a good while there. Um, in contrast, the detective story magazine hour only ran for like 52 episodes, but you know, just basic anthology stuff, you know, as, as it is. And it suffered because people just listened for the mysterious host, not the 
thing it was really doing. It's, it's, it's like, like if, when you watch it for the ads. It's like if you watch Cheese TV and then Sailor Moon comes on, you're like, what the fuck is this? You say that, but I used to turn it off when Dragon Ball Z came on. Hmm. I used the excuse of the bus was coming, but it was really just that I hated Dragon Ball Z. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan either. We should, we should watch the first and last episodes of Dragon Ball Z and see if we can figure it out. No. <laughs> yeah, so people wanted the host more than the show itself, so it didn't last forever. The shadow would pop up an, a couple more times. He would narrate the Blue Coal Mystery Review and a couple other bits and pieces, but it wasn't until September of 1937 he would find a more permanent home on the airways. Mm. On the mutual broadcasting system, Frank Redick Jr. would return to the role for The Shadow. At some point, Orson Welles was also involved, but I can't recollect what section he appeared in. Hmm. Um, he probably wasn't there for very long. No, he was, he was only there for a bit, but I can't place him in the... Timeline? Yeah, in the timeline properly. Um, yeah, finally, this was a focused radio version of the character, not telling stories, but starring in them. Adapting tales told across the pulp magazines. Usually, they were almost always adapted. Mm. And, you know, it would be like, The Shadow, a mysterious character who furthers the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Which I love that that used to be a job. It used to just be a thing. I mean, he's not the only. He's not the only wealthy young man about town I've seen. Again, with the, if I could, I would. The Shadow uses the hypnotic power to clouds men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows as to whom the unseen voice of the Shadow belongs. Today's story, and then it would, you know, say the episode title and away it would go. Like, for example, the inventor of death. Um, they all have pretty fun goosebumpy cheese names like that. Um, I use that one as an example because that's one of my favourites so far, and the example we're going in this week. Yay. Lamont and Margot... Who's his, yeah, again, his buddy. Who? His accomplice. It's like, I don't know. Because they aren't dating or nothing. Well, it's, it's not said they are. So they've got like this weird relationship where she's kind of like. I don't know. I want to say like Jay and Silent Bob, but they both talk. She's, she's there for him to bounce his thoughts off of. Kind of like how Robin was introduced to Batman to clear out some of the thought bubbles. She's the Peggy to his Captain America. Hmm. She's the Helen to his Dick Diamond. The Mary to... I think I'm getting the names right. The Mary to his Boston Blackie. Yes. They all had a, a side bitch. Not for sex, but just to drive them around while they thought. <laughs> no darling. I don't see him much in the radio show so far. I know, because you were like, who is this guy? And it was like the most important character in this film. And you were like, I, I think don't think that's watching right. this film wrong. Yeah, I feel like you were fucking bad at it. Lamont and Margot are just kicking it at this Hall of Science, looking at some exhibits and mulling about, when they see a demonstration of a mechanical man. You know, classic old-timey stomping around slow robot, like the dude from Lost in Space or the one from Forbidden Planet. Um... While the science, like the inventor is showing off his sweet robot, Lamont is distracted by a massive hunchback in the crowd. Not because he's a, like freak shaming or anything, but because the guy looks pissed the hell off. He's very mad. Um, then the robot, after answering a few math questions, uh, picks up the inventor's wife and kills her. She gets crushed to death. It's an audio, so 
Um, I know she didn't like it. A lot of that old-timey scream queen, you know, squealing. Kind of reminds me of um, the chick falling into Batman's nuclear generator thing. I don't remember how if she screams. I just very quickly, yeah. but they were all like, "Oh, yeah." Um, yeah. Afterwards, when the police are clearing the place out, uh, Margot and Lamont are talking about the whole thing. We're talking about the case and how the the shadow should get involved and solve what the fuck happened to that robot. But the hunchback overhears them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, the robot then announces that it must kill the shadow. Isn't that great? The inventor freaks out about his wife and, you know, after, I, th- I think just like taking a bat to the robot for a little bit, um, Margot drives him and Lamont home. Mm-hmm. On the road, he brings up a suspect. A Dr. Zeruya. Um, he's an angry scientist who was like the Pepsi to this guy's Coke. Um, but he doesn't have a hunchback, so it's like, oh, you know. No, I don't. It's a red herring. Oh, okay. You know. Anyway, the car essentially gets watchdogged. Okay. And is forced to swerve and crash. Uh, Lamont survives the accident, but was unconscious for 24 hours at home in his bed. Okay. This was back when cigarettes were completely safe to smoke, so, you know, medical science and all that. Yeah, they were doing if, really good for a while. If you're unconscious for 24 hours with severe head injury, just fucking go to bed. Yeah. Um, the inventor dies in the car crash, and when Lamont asks his pretty dim-witted butler about Margot, um, she wasn't at the crash site. She has been kidnapped. Oh, no. Um, which is... I'm going to say rare. Like, she isn't just there to be, like, the the hostage like Robin was for a lot of the early years. Mm. Um, so we cut to Margot, who was captured by Dr. Zaruga. The twist here is that he was the hunchback. Um, it's not a real hunchback. How, how do you... Oh, I was about to say, how do you hide that from someone? It's not really a hunch. Hun- it's it's not really a hump. It's, um, a a, hunch. it's a device he wears under his clothes that allows him to control technology. I see. So it's a, um... Some sort of Wi-Fi router, but of the 50s. No, it's a jammer. Mm. Well, it's a controller. Yeah, so it's a jam. It doesn't jam things. It makes things do things. Oh. Watchdogs. It's literally watchdogs, but but in his back. Okay. So he hacked their car to crash, and he hacked that robot into killing the lady. This mad doctor heard Margot mention the shadow, so he took her in to lure him out and kill him, Mm. using his fancy robot. Um, apparently the robot is a grotesque, ugly thing, but, you know, I wouldn't know. It's a radio show. As the evil robot hoists her up, the shadow is heard, his filtered voice surrounding the room. Dr. Zaruga wants to face off with him. The smartest man versus the most invisiblest one. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Shadow tries to talk him down, but the doc isn't having it, and tells the robot to find and kill the stranger in the room. That's right. The shadow pounces on him and finds the metallic technology under his clothes instead of a hump, and he yanks it off of him, and Zaruga loses his um, wireless control of the robot, mm. you know, because the thing gets busted. And when he goes to manually control the robot, it registers him as a stranger now and bear hugs him into a big dreamless sleep. Gets smushed. I think that's death. Yeah, yeah, he got smushed by a robot. I mean, that's cool. If, if you're gonna go, <laughs> yeah. you might as well have, like, a story. Hmm. Yeah, I think I like this one for the simple reason that I did find these old radio shows while looking for music, like, from the Fallout 
sort of franchise, like early 50s sort of horror sci-fi music. Yeah. I was looking for that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, and then I stumbled upon all this shit on Spotify. And Silver Shroud's from Fallout's black trench coat, hat, and red scarf is very The Shadow inspired. Mm. Like, very. Um, so it's kind of like the Silver Shroud versus a Protectron for me, which is a delight. Yeah. Um, so that's how I sort of picture the adventure. However, Lamont on the radio doesn't seem to wear a costume. Given it's an audio medium, he is mostly voice, which made the invisibility thing fit better than, you know, a fake nose and scarf. Kyle, what do you think of these old shows? Um, I've, I've only heard, like, one or two of you them. You heard maybe the worst quality shadow I've come across. It was which a little isn't, bit which is unfair. to keep track of. It's, it's an ongoing problem where if someone's doing a fake villain accent, it, come, it doesn't filter into the audio very good. Yeah. Um, it, it was interesting... But again, it was kind of hard to pay attention to. Because I was also, like, doing stuff while we were listening to it. Mm. Which makes it harder. How do you feel about the medium in general? I like radio shows. Yeah. They did it for a while with um, Agent Carter. I remember them, like, having them in the show. Because Ralph Garman was one of the hosts. Which yeah, because cool. she gets mad because they play it off as, like, she's his, like damsel in distress His she's like that's life? not how it happened hmm. and you know as you learn more about peggy you're like yeah those roles were switched i think i think i've been aware of radio shows like longer than i realized because triple j used to do similar shit now and then yeah like the blow parade was a really good fake documentary but that was a documentary like show but again that's like they also did one called space goat it's not an Which, unknown media because they, there are some movies and stuff that have radio dramas in it. Yeah. And obviously Batman's doing probably finished one by now, I'm not sure. I, I like them. But I used to really like Space Goat when they played it, but I'd imagine that's just lost completely to time now. Probably. Yeah. It was about a goat, I think. It was it didn't make any fucking sense. It was fascinating. <laughs> I mean, really, if you think about it, that's what an audiobook is. There's a, yeah, there's audiobooks now that, um, as far as I can tell, just seem to, like, do all the words and treat it like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so things were going well for The Shadow. He had radio shows, he had pulps, he got it all. Between the popularity of the pulps and radio drama, they put out, you know, cereal, <laughs> fucking serials, a handful of two real movies... Um, which used to be movies that you would watch one half and then the second half when you came back later. Similar like to sixties Batman. When you say that you put out cereals, you you're not talking about the breakfast food. Not that I know of. I, I don't know what his merch was like because if you look up Shadow merch, you bet your ass it's just the emo edge lord of the Sonic universe. Oh no, Shadow. It's just a cereal is usually not a cereal. Well, it's a TV series. Those yeah. those old timey like theater TV series. Uh, and a bucket full of movies. Kai watched one of those from 1946. Not Behind the Mask or The Missing Lady, which also came out that year. Uh, she watched Shadow Returns. I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was... It this was... is your platform to, <laughs> to talk about whatever the fuck that movie was. Do, do you have any notes on it, or do you just want me to, like... Yes, I do. It? Thanks to Les Williams at Longhorn1939 at suddenlink.net 
who says what, Playboy. What a freaking email address that is. Longhorn. He's from 1939. Do you reckon he was around when this movie came out? No. He would have been like 15. Playboy Lamont Cranston, played by Kane Richmond, is the nephew of Police Commissioner Cardona, played by Joseph Crean. Uh, but when a particularly baffling crime comes along, he becomes a master crime fighter known as the Shadow to help his uncle in this entry of the series. He solves the riddle that lies behind four deaths, two of which appear to be suicides, with the help and or hindrance of his quote girl Friday, Margot Lane, played by Barbara Reed. Rude. She's helpful. And his taxi <laughs> taxi cab driving stooge Shrevy, played by Tom Dugan. He finds the methods and motives of the guilty party and brings them to justice. Spoiler alert. That's on IMDb if you want to read it for yourself. 50 years old. It is? Not really a spoiler. I mean, we're fine with spoiling like two-week-old movies. I think this one's well good. Yeah. You can find it for free on YouTube. It's not even really a movie anymore. Mm. But I would suggest watching it because it was a fun time. There were it some, has some very average scores. There were some <laughs> dumb jokes for me, and some whip action for you. Mm-hmm. Whips are an Austra- an, a very Australian weapon, apparently. I believe it. I don't know. It was, it, was, it was a very... It was a flustering movie to try and keep track of. I don't know what was no, going on. So, Everyone's talking fast and old-timey. The, the commissioner doesn't like the other guy's nephew. Yeah. And he's like, why is he always turning up? And he's like, I don't know, but he's helpful and I don't mind having him around. He's a, he has a passing interest in criminal psychology. Yeah. Which I always like. Is He just is interested, so they let him get directly involved in police forensics and shit. So they go to this house where some shenanigans be going down. And then they witness a dude look like he jumps off a first story balcony and dies. Like, yeah, what was... Yeah. Which... <laughs> you should be able to walk away going, ow, my foot. Like, look, I don't dead. understand, like, a broken leg. But Maybe not, a broken arm. Not completely corpsed. Not completely corpsed. Well, they were. And then they're all like, maybe one of you killed him. And they're like, you clearly saw him jump. And they would be like, ah. You're correct. <laughs> yeah, but, but maybe. And then... The shadow's like, but something doesn't add up. And so he's investigating these gemstone things that I can't really remember what they have to they do They were like melting plastic or some shit. I don't know. There was a fucking... No, there was a scheme. There was a scheme afoot and people being killed for it. if you melt the gemstones inside them, they have the recipe for melting stuff. <laughs> like plastic. Well, isn't, isn't that something? Which clearly didn't work because... The latest scientific discovery at the moment is worms that can melt polystyrene. Mm. So, there you go. And then, so, they tell everyone in the house that they have to stay there because I forgot that all the people living in the house are, like, shady fellows. Mm. Oh, yeah, that dude with sunglasses looked pretty fucking shady. They're, they're all, like, old gang people that moved out and then came back for this particular meeting and rather than being like, we'll hand you over to the IRS, they're like, just stay here until we work out who killed that other dude that jumped, clearly. Yeah, everyone wait here. And then when they do that, another one of them clearly jumps and dies. But isn't the twist that they've been yanked off by a whip? Yes. Oh. 
because it's like a whole clue thing of there's like secret doors that get them outside and then put it back on the wall before it can be found out. But the shadow knows. He knows all sorts of cool shit. I don't like his costume in this one. But I like my my favorite part is when they're um when they're at the factory and they um like Margot falls through like a wall of fridges like and finds door. like a downstore basement of chemicals. And that's where my darling says his famous line of, Do you want a bite of a, a tuna fish sandwich? He goes, Shut him up, I forgot to add the tuna. Isn't that no, like it's sardines. sardines or some it's bullshit sardine sandwich? sandwich? And he, he didn't put any sardines in it. So you're a big fan of Shrevy, the taxi driver? Darling. Or as um, Les called him, Taxi Cab Driving Stooge? That's just rude. He's the comic relief. He a hundred percent is. Yeah. But at the same time, Margot's very helpful in this. She's always kind of like hanging around. She, she's right. helping out hiding costumes and stuff like that. Yeah, she's always covering for him. Yeah, his costume. How did you feel about that version? Because it's like, he wears like a hat and a cloak and then like a dime store mask, which I've <laughs> never seen in any other versions. Yeah, but most of the time they don't show him wearing it. Yeah. Most of the time they do show his shadow. Yeah. Yeah, they, they use it stylistically, but it's... the Like, the physical representation is very odd. Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. so I, I like the costume in the other movie, though. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way that combines different... Elements. Things. Yeah. Because he's one of those characters where... Obviously, like, so early on there's different takes like the the radio version is like let's make him invisible because it works on this media to have him like blast dialogue at criminals without just getting immediately shot and if he wears a cool costume who the fuck is gonna know anyway yeah and then the pulp one's like well i can't just draw an invisible guy because that is just back background layouts and speech bubbles yeah 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 it wasn't all super outdated forgotten movies for the shadow though because there was also a much more recent, outdated, forgotten movie. Oh. 1994's The Shadow. Starring Cat in the Hat's Larry Quinn, Alec Baldwin. I don't feel like you should say the other character's name before you introduce him. Look, the problem is, is when I see Alec Baldwin, I have to turn off the portion of my brain that remembers him trying to fuck the hot milk from Cat in the Hat. Because that's my. He undoes his girdle. <laughs> yeah, he's like picking his belly button. He goes, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> "Fuck, that's." It sucks when like a very famous actor, like exists, but your first like version of them is probably like one of the worst depictions of the character. Yes, it's like how now they're only referring to um, what's his name as the bad guy from Sonic. <laughs> What, Jim Carrey? Yeah. I think of him as Mask, I suppose. That would be my first move, is that. Um, you've got... What's, what, there's another one. Everyone, There's like this Facebook post that cycles around every couple of years where it's like, um, fuck your Zodiac sign. What was your first version of Tim Curry? Hmm. And there's so many great ones, of there course. Is. Yeah. But I think my first time seeing him was Scary Movie 2. Which probably isn't one of the best, you know, examples. I find it really strange because my... We still refer to Captain America as Jake Weiler. Yeah. 
My yeah. initial thoughts of Tim Curry, mm. I didn't realise it was him because it was a voice. Thorn Bruce. But now that I know that it's him, I can't unthink of him as being that character first. Mm. It's Hex from Fern Gully. Oh, see, I, I, yeah, I knew of the because we the watched we one. watched Fern Gully like on repeat, and in that he's just a giant tarry gas cloud. Mm. But once someone was like, "Oh, that's this guy," I'm like, hundred percent, that's who it is. You know, it's probably one of the weirdest ones that people probably don't even realize. There's a similar like iconic famous actor called Christopher Lloyd. Mm. Who you may know from Adam's Family, or Back to the Future, or like a zillion other things. Cyber Chase. Right? <laughs> Never forget. Oh. He was the bad guy in that, whose name I fucking don't remember. Mm. But yeah. Good old Cyber Chase. Teaching me basic maths. It was way too late. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. But yeah, uh, I was way too old to be watching that. Oh yeah, show. we all I was were. Like, yeah, this is great. For some reason, that show's entire fan base were in their early twenties. <laughs> I don't think I was. That, I think I was maybe like fifteen. But I was definitely like I should have known what they were talking about. Yeah. All right. So, so back to um. Yeah, the cat in the hat guy, Alec Baldwin. Right. <laughs> yeah. In the shadow, Kaya. We watched this on our day off, and now we got to talk about it a little. Like I said, nineteen ninety four. So this was in one of the roughest patches in comic book film history. Oh yeah. We're at that. We're in that horrible dip. All right. Picture it like a like a skate like a half pipe at a skate park. You've got the peak on one side, and that's 89's Tim Burton Batman. I don't like the that re- one as much as the other Batman. I know, but that that like blew the Batman fever. Like, just opened the floodgates for comic book films. Yes. And then everything after it's not very good. And then you got Iron Man. <laughs> Oh, no, probably like Sam Raimi, Spider-Man, and Blade and stuff. That, that's when it comes back up again. But there's like a section right there in the middle, the real low part. And that is smack that's dab where we are right now. my favourite films live. Oh, totally. Yeah. So people wanted to recreate the huge... Hysteria. Yeah, that was uh, Tim Burton's Batman. And as much as I love it, Batman Returns in 92 was, you know, of this strange time. It's a weird fucking movie, frankly. Mm. Things like 1990's Captain America. 94 had Richie Rich, Jim Carrey's The Mask, and The Crow. Um, Two out of three ain't bad. The following year had Tank Girl. And 96 had Vampirella and Barbed Wire. I only know Barbed Wire as a modern film. (laughs) Yeah, because we came back back around to that, and I am scared to touch Vampirella, because let's be honest, it is going to be terrible. Look at that costume immediately. Tell me it had a budget of 30 bucks or something. (laughs) And when I bring up this level of, let's call it quality of the era, compared to the je ne sais quoi. Mm. We have to. That's part of the problem with The Shadow now, is it's a comic book movie, and there's like at least three or four good ones at this point. Mm. So it makes it hard, but you've got to compare it. You know, you've got. Comparing him against Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy or Billy Zane's Phantom, how do you feel about Alec Baldwin's Lamont Cranston? I think certain things make a lot of sense mm. and are good. I also think it was a movie made in 1994. Yeah. I feel it's, bad for it like, and it feels I'm, a little tacky, but if you look at it 
in the mindscape of movies from that time. It's Do you know I'm actually bad. surprised mm. that it doesn't have the same kind of cultness. Because mm. I wouldn't call this film a cult film. But it's got that like It feels like one, know, it just doesn't have the know, fan base. But if you don't know, you don't know. Mm. This and Rocketeer. Yeah, I was going to bring I up Rocketeer they as have well. that very... Like, and yes, they are set in a very similar time period with a kind of similar premise and things like that. It's what makes the comparison easy. I thought the same. But And that's the thing. Like, I feel like Rocketeer has that... It's on the verge of being a cult. Mm. This I'd never heard of before. You were like, we're watching this film. And I think Rocketeer has the advantage of being a Disney film. Because it's got like the Disney fan trickle down. Not a big one. This has more people in it. Yeah. Because almost every single person, we're like, oh, look, it's that guy. Oh, look, it's that guy. And those people all have really big, like, accolades to their name. So how come people haven't gone back through their stuff and been like, oh, what's this? Well, I'll, I'll explain some stuff and we'll go into it. And you might understand where this film ended up critically. Like, I think... I think we're at a really hard place in pop culture currently. Mm. Because if you say something's a good film, that means it's not good enough. Like, this is a good film. I would sit down and watch it again. Mm. I enjoyed watching this film. Is it a blockbuster? No. Is it a triple A? No. It's not. But it is a really good film. Mm. I feel like we live in like a... We live in a society, but um, we do live in a in a social media like gang war about everything. It's very black and white. You you're either completely waving the flag or something, or you want to send death threats to the creators. There's a huge gap in the middle there where a lot of stuff could comfortably sit. And that and that's the thing. Like, if something's not instantly a hit, it must be terrible. Mm. That's where we're at. I, I know, but we're also at light year right now, which isn't a hit right away. But that's but terrible. that's the thing. Just because it's not a hit, does that necessarily mean it's a bad film? No, light year is a bad example because it is a bad film. But you don't know that you haven't seen it. Zerg is Buzz all along. Yeah, but they've done that before. No, he was the dad. No, they've, <laughs> they've done it before. Ah, fuck it. Star Command is what is up. Look, we are kids of the 90s. We will forever wag the star... Com- wag the star command flag? We're going to wag it like a dog. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's one of the biggest problems that I have with pop culture in general right now. The debates Either used to be fun, but now it's very, like, or just zero. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Why can't those films that are in that 50 to 70 hmm. still be good films? Yeah. You can enjoy watching something and it not be a million dollar production. Oh, watch me, man. I'll watch Halle Berry's Catwoman and have a good time. Yeah, but that's for a different reason. Because it's hilarious. <laughs> Those like, cats lick her away from the trap. Put it this way. The Lizzie McGuire film was not a great film. We have three cops. It was co- a fucking good time, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I like a bad movie. So I think I prefer a movie that is good over a movie that is great. No, a movie that is interesting. Because the shadow is interesting, isn't, beats anything. The shadow isn't bad. It's, we're not talking about it like a so bad it's a good movie. No, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. It's an interesting movie. It has things to look at and talk it's about a, and think about. It's a stuff. movie that you would put your phone down during. Yeah, 
And I think that is the biggest praise that you can give a movie at this stage. Yeah. So, from what I can tell, it flopped. Not surprising. The, it had a budget of $40 million and finished with 48 worldwide in its completion. $8 million sounds pretty cool to me, but that is not what a successful film. No, It started off okay, doing well for the first week, but other movies then came out. Kaya, Forrest Gump, Lion King. See, it was it, there was no way that it was going to be a box office hit. Forrest Gump took a, the adults and Lion King took the children. You've got a 70 to 80% movie hitting against 100%. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, yeah, it flopped, and that makes sense because it's completely lost to time. It's like, yeah, because everyone was watching Lion King. I was like, oh, well, yeah, fuck. Like the Lion, Can't argue with that. The Lion King holds up today as a 100% movie. Hmm. The animated Lion King holds up against the live-action Lion King movie, which they probably spent more money on. You know, the voice of Simba ran over a family in Ireland and didn't go to jail for it. But we'll talk about that another time. The Shadow was directed by Russell McCauley, who did work on Resident Evil Extinction. Supposedly one of the better ones. I've not watched any of those. They look like fake Underworld. Uh, he worked on Teen Wolf, the, you know, the recent, like, drama TV series. Not the, oh, yes. not the, um, the Michael J. One. Fox movie. And 13 Reasons Why. So I've never seen any of his shit. But like this, those are popular things from recently. <laughs> this is true. Yep. Its main writing credit went to Walter P. Gibson, which is nice. But the guy who actually wrote the fucking movie was David Cullop, Um, who is a name I should have seen somewhere before. He does screenplays, Kaya. Mm-hmm. Um, screenplays for things like the first Jurassic Park. Um, the original Mission Impossible movie. Nicolas Cage's Snake Eyes. Sam Raimi's fucking Spider-Man 1. Again. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I like how, I like how that one was like, Indiana Jones! Uh, yep. He also wrote The Bride of Frankenstein that was going to take place in the Dark Universe, so I don't know what will happen to that one. It's probably gone forever. But Bride Frankenstein. That's kind of cool. It's, I'll give, I'll give it'll be locked up one. in a vault next to Tom Cruise in The Mummy Returns. And yeah, whatever okay. fucking else they had planned. I would have... I had no interest in watching that movie. But I would have been very curious to see what weird cinematic universe it built. I, yeah, I feel you, I feel you. It's, you know how everyone was mad about Ugly Sonic? And then it, the movie came out and it was Nice Sonic. And everyone's like, kind of curious about that fucking weird one now. No. That's I how was, I feel about I the Dark Universe. It's like, curious. I would definitely read a IMDb about its creature of the Black Lagoon. Yeah. So I just don't know. We're tangenting bad. I want a sugar high and you're passing out. So <laughs> something that struck us was the cast. I didn't know who Penelope Ann Miller was, the lead, you know, the lead lady of the film Margot Lane, but we recognised, like, everyone else. Yeah. Alec Baldwin, who is the dead guy in Beetlejuice. Um, Shawan Khan uh, is played by John Lone, who was an actor of many a kung fu movie like Last Emperor, Year of the Dragon, and Rush Hour 2. Uh, we also got more of Kai's favourite character, Mo Shrevnitz. Dude. The taxicab guy. Who was played by Peter Doyle. 
Old Man Wickles from Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. You know, you know that I knew. Yeah. Or the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. Or Frankenstein from the Mel Brooks version. Um, he also did a bit part in Tripping the Rift, which isn't his finest moment, but you know, you should listen to us cover that uh, series. I, I think I stopped watching episodes, that. actually, during those notes. Um, so, this movie also has Magneto, Ian McKellen, Dr. Frankenfurter, Tim Curry, uh, live-action Papa Smurf from those CGI movies. Tim Curry's just so, like... Delightful. Iconic. Yeah. yeah, so the guy who played Popper Smurf in those, um... Was Justin Timberlake in those movies? No. No, Neil He's Patrick Harris. Yeah, yeah so, so Jonathan Winters. Um, and a small part played by Patrick Fisher from Happy. And James Hong from fucking everything else. Is it, like... The more that you get into the creators of that movie, the more you're like, how... Is it not better than... I'll this? tell you how... Narsavenya, baba di di baba. No, no, I didn't say how is it not popular. I said how is it not better than it is. Hey, I thought it was good. Again, it's good. You need to think about it's it. This came great. out. This comic book movies. If you ignore like the Dick Donner Supermans and the Tim Burton Batmans, this this was fighting in some sort of comic book dungeon against Tank Girl. And yet, that's more popular. That movie invested a bunch of money in a kangaroo erection. That wasn't used. They didn't even bother to put it in the film. I wonder where it is now. Rotting. <laughs> it's used in Sesame Street, the worm. Is, it's, 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 it's Oscar the Grouch's worm. There is a rotting kangaroo penis somewhere in Hollywood. Good stuff. The basic premise of the movie is that Shiwan Khan one of the recurring villains from the pulps, has returned once... Oh, sorry, has recurred once again. Because mm. he's a recurring villain. Um, to conquer the world, um, beginning where his ancestor Genghis Khan did not reach the Western world. Okay. It's up no, to... No, the... he just wants the whole globe. I know, but he he's starts... He's starting he... in New York, he but starts he's like, in the just West. everywhere. Yeah, starts in New York. And it's up to the Shadow to stop this threat. Um, see... They were both trained in the Shadow's hypnotic craft, so they are equals, uh, with different goals, you know. It's kind of one of those, um, we're equals formidable threat stuff, you know, like flash and reverse flash, or flash and uh, zoom, uh, and flash and godspeed, and every fucking flash film. Um, and you're surprised that I don't like the flash. Flash is great. He just doesn't have... He, he's look at the fucking rogues, man. He has a good group of villains, but it's always a speedster every time. He gives a shit. Well, who gives else is he going to come up against? Captain fucking Cold and the mirror guy. Wow. A man with a cold <laughs> vacuum and a mirror. It's not a vacuum. The cold goes out. Wow. A hot vacuum, perhaps. A guy with a reverse cold vacuum and a mirror. Don't even get me started on Weather Wizard. Now, because this is a live-action movie, it has a unique take on the character. They always fucking do. So there was some cherry-picking going on as well as to what version of the Shadow we would get. But, like, you have enough. Yeah, there's plenty to work with. You're you're always going to annoy someone, but someone will be like, Ah, they went with mine. They stick to Lamont Cranston as the main man. That's Radio-style. They had him use the power of invisibility. That's radio as well. He has a cloak and scarf costume. That's Pulps. He gets referred to as Ying Ko. That's Pulps C. Um, Ying means shadow. Uh, 
you know, you know, it's it's it's, but it means like dark or vague shadow. It's not specifically a physical shadow. So, see uh, the yin yang for an example. Um, yin zi is Mandarin for an actual physical shadow. So I think Ying Ko was just a mistranslation on Walter's part that the franchise has continued to roll with regardless. Well, but at the same time, he's not an actual shadow. He can turn himself invisible so that he blends into the shadow. People trying to figure out what the fuck Ying Ko was supposed to mean think that that's probably how it goes. Oh, yeah. Let's remember... people are, you know... Let's remember Peking Duck, like Peking, is a mistranslation of Beijing. Yeah. (laughs) That we've just... Chosen to just stay on course. So yeah, a single symbol mistake is very believable for the shadows. Um, Nineteen, yeah, 1930s uh, writing stuff. Other notes for this version of the shadow were that he has a Dracula-level hypnotism. Um, He wears a fake face as the shadow, which I always like. And um, Margot is a psychic, and Lamont ran an opium den into bed after the First World War, which is where it's welcome. What's the word for... Mind reading. Mm. Clairvoyant. Clairvoyant. She reads minds. Doesn't see the future. Clairvoyance is future based. I think. We're getting into like crystal talk here. We need to move on. And that's where the movie starts. Okay, a very shabby Lamont in his little den gets kidnapped in the night by the Toku. Um, they're like monks to an extent. It's it's a little Doctor Strange. Yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> the first one, not like recent ones. The trouble is, though, Kyle, is that anything that the shadow reminds you of, the shadow probably did first because it like predates comic books. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you know? giving people a like a comparison yeah, yeah. that they might understand. Yeah, I hear you, but at the same time, it's weird to think that something existed like pre Superman. As dumb as that sounds. It's like, wow, Batman ripped off this? That's crazy. Yeah. The the world took place way longer ago than I thought. As dumb as that sounds, you know what I mean? No, that sounds real pretty dumb. Alright, well, so this is the temple. The the Toku, uh, the temple where he learns his fancy... Yeah, his, his bullshit... They didn't know what hypnotism was, that he can bend reality. (laughs) Yep, they say, bro, you are a warlord and a drug kingpin, and that's just no good. you got to redeem yourself a bit there, champ. That's what the monk says. After this, he is attacked by probably the worst part of the movie, a flying CGI knife with a face. It'll stab him to death if he doesn't become a good guy, so he agrees. And then the movie just moves on like it never happened to seven years later. Uh, and we're now in New York City. Yeah. And this is the, this is the first scene in New York that is one I like. It's a very classic New York mob stuff. They're wearing zoot suits and there's concrete boots. It's epic. Yeah. They're there on the Brooklyn Bridge to toss a witness into the river because he saw a leader. Um, we hear the maniacal laughter of the shadow as he beats up the goons, moving like a haze or a fog to strike, which is a cool way of doing it. Like, it's a little bit of the invisibility, but it's also the costume. And, but it also, like, again, with its really good, like, technology for the time. Mm. Because you can tell that he's there without telling that he's there, and you can, like... There's a few, like, frame lags in it, which is... Yeah. But, like, it's fine. I bet you if you watched this on the VHS, it fucking was in Civic Video. It would probably not look very bad at all. 
That's the thing you got to remember about old content. Like, it wasn't aiming to look good on IMAX 40 years down the track. It was made to look good on a CRT and a fucking VCR. Yeah. You know? Like, um... They, they never thought that the quality was going to be what it was. And, look... But it, that this, said, that's one of my favourite things about, like, old school Disney films. Is when you can see the hand-drawn... The pencil lines. Yeah, the pencil lines. And like, I know they didn't mean for that to be seen. You've also got, like... But God, is it pretty. Everyone's trying to emulate Tim Burton's Batman, but there are specific shots now where you can see Jack Nicholson's face paint, like, rubbing on the collar oh, yeah. of his jacket and stuff. Yeah, it, none, none of them Te- are perfect. Technology will always advance, and it will always, like, render things completely... Obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also like that, um... That the shadow, like his charisma, like he walks, talks, and looks like a bigger, badder villain than the people he faces in a very do not even begin to fuck with me kind of style. Um, and he probably was the first anti hero, not in 94, but in like the fucking originals. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he saves this dude and recruits him. See, much like Kaya's darling back in 46, the Shadow, instead of gathering children to be sidekicks like Batman does, he will recruit agents for his war on crime. He has eyes everywhere, experts in the fields that he may need help with, probably a chef if he gets hungry. I don't fucking know. Well, but that's the thing. He only recruits people that he's saved. Yeah, he's like, you owe me your life. The, the he says it again, you, villainy as fuck. He's like, your life now belongs life. to me. But he's genuinely like... But he doesn't call in, like, ridiculous stuff. It's a, if you see something shady going down, let me know. Yeah, don't trust in a cop, case, just let is, me know. But in which case is, I saved your life, let me save someone else's. When you really boil it mm. down. Yeah. And if he knows that you're the top in your field at something... He... It's probably handy to know you. But that's the thing. He comes to you, which if you... Like, if someone was like, oh, I need this, like, amazing, you know, thing done, and you're the best person at it, and then they went to somebody else, you'd be like, hmm. am I just, you know, I'm just sitting here? Um, I do like the idea of how he does it in this movie. See, oh, I think it's really they're cool. all given a red crystal ring to wear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that ring I have seen pop up a few times in my research. Uh, in this version, though, it is a code to show that you are like one of the boys, you know. In in some comics, it's a tool for stronger hypnotic commands, which I don't really enjoy because he can hypnotize you with his fucking eyes anyway, so what's the point? Um, in the pulps, it was a gift given from the Tsar of Russia in 1932's The Romanov Jewels. And in 1937's The Shadow Unmasks, it claims there was only two of them because they were the eyes of an idol, which reminds me of the Temple of Doom idol, which we also just watched. Yeah. I have been, you know, schooling Toby on Indiana Jones. Yeah, I've been watching... In a really terrible been wa- it, It's Yeah, it's great. It's like Tomb Raider getting mansplained, <laughs> um, which is also Uncharted. Um, yep, so after recruiting this guy, who is luckily a scientist, Lamont stops you know, bending reality to look normal and joins his uncle for dinner at the Cobalt Club, both of which are from the Pulps. Mm-hmm. Um, his uncle is the commissioner of police, and I like that every time the shadow comes up in his work, Lamont will hypnotize him into dismissing the guy's myth. Yeah. Which is a fun way of doing it. 
Um, I also like the contacts they use during his hypnotizing scenes. Like we've on this podcast specifically, we have watched a lot of outdated films with bad contact lenses. Yeah, I, I like the <laughs> I like the weird ones that they do in this. I don't know if they're CGI or what, but they're possibly. It's like a weird yellow dim light inside his irises. But I don't he, know how to describe, but it looks cool. I think he has multiple different contacts throughout it. Mm. But the the hypnotizing one specifically, yeah. I was like, those those look very cool. I like that look. Um, we then meet this movie's take on Margot Lane. Uh, we learn she's a psychic, which is bad for a hero with a secret identity whose hypnosis will not work on her. Uh, that was a fun scene. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. When they're in the club. <laughs> not like when they're at the front of the club and he's like, you'll forget this conversation and you will... She's like, no, I won't. She's, she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And, he, and like, going? there's a pause where he's like, uh, fuck. And he like gets in the taxi and just leaves. <laughs> I like that he has no plan B if his hypnotism fails. <laughs> That, like, that's more specific. That's more suspicious behavior. Exactly. Like, that's worse. He, he's like, if I just get in this cab right now, she'll leave me alone. Just and pe- she's immediately like, it's bad you if this- are one of the most popular guys in this city. I know how to find you. It's very bad if, like, the superhero's flight or flight response is immediately flight. I don't know. It didn't help him in any way, shape, or form. Normally, she is just his body to bounce dialogue off, like I said, like producer Kaya here. Um, but I have I have seen her abilities before, citing the James Patterson book version of The Shadow, which took place in a dystopian future and ended with a Dragon Ball Z-style fight. Back to the movie again, because doing her other thing, like the other reason she's involved, is that her father is working on military technology, Ian McCallum. I understand why they can't have, like, already known each other, mm. but... That whole, like, her whole relationship with him. Very odd. Makes no fucking sense. But movies as a rule have to have the relationship. No, I'm, I'm fine with the relationship. But they go from, like... They meet, like, three times. Not knowing anything. Being super suspicious of him. Being, like... His Beal and a lackey. Hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, her dad working on military technology matters because she one Khan will need those technologies soon. Yeah. I'm bringing him up because he arrives in the next scene in a sarcophagus to the New York Museum, like fucking Tuttenstein. It's not a sarcophagus. It's the other thing. It's a sarcophagus though. Well, for the sake of our listeners' mental image, it is. If you are not a Tibetan scholar, it's a sarcophagus. Yes, whatever. Um, and you know he emerges out of it, isn't that crazy? And he has a guard kill himself, and he escapes to find the other master of the Toku, which is obviously Lamont Cranston. Um, them meeting is a cool scene. You've got. Like, it starts with the police officer at the crime scene for the dead guard, and he senses something's weird about the empty mystery coffin and the dead cop on the floor. I mean, yeah. Uh, he also wears a red ring, um, which they make more obvious as the scene plays out, but I love the subtlety of seeing it, like, as he's leaving the, the area. I think that they didn't have to show, like, close-ups of it as he's writing the note. Yeah. Because you can see it enough, but that also might be the CRT. TV quality thing but it where they also, have to show you. Like, it shows you that 
for people that are part of his, like, league Mm. are not, like... They're very subtle. You would never notice them unless you had to. Like, which gives it a really good, like, setup within the universe. Yeah, I do like I do like the web of the shadow. His little um, yeah, his little shadow organization, so to speak. Um. So he yeah he writes a note and gets it to Burbank, who is a pulp character who is kind of like an oracle of sorts. Um, to report this finding to Cranston himself. Um, the pipe that the note goes through is a cool idea, but it is fucking stupidly executed. Holy shit. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about it, fuck it. Lamont goes to his sanctum, which is a cool place. I like, I like the build of it. Everything's very, like, old-timey. Yeah. Look. It's got a very cool style to it. And while he's there, Khan is there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Their dialogue is cute, Khan complimenting his tie and asking where it's from, which is a direct reference to when they used to do product placement in the radio shows, and then adding to it later on, when Khan's kind of like settling into New York, he's wearing the same suit and haircut. And tie. Yeah, but they don't bring it up again, it's just like a cute nod, I like that. They also stole that with um, Jim Carrey's The Riddler. Yeah. In a few years after this. Mm -hmm. Long enough that they probably could have seen this movie. Whatever. Um... I do like the it's a product product placement reference. I love when um anytime uh, Dick Diamond in the other radio detective dramas is like humming a tune or whistling or like amusing himself while he's doing something, he's singing the "How Mild Can a Cigarette Be" like tune hmm. from their sponsored product, Camel Cigarettes. Um, Dick Powell, who how? played Dick uh, Richard Diamond, um. Was the spokesperson of Camel Cigarettes, and guess what he died of? Uh, Yeah, lung cancer from cigarettes. (laughs) But, like... Maybe paying a dude in cigarettes was a mistake. But it's also not that unbelievable, because how often are we driving somewhere and all of a sudden I start, like, singing along with radio ads and stuff like that? Because we live in a rural community and our fucking radio commercials haven't evolved or changed even remotely in, like, a decade. They're still the same products every time. But that's the thing. Everyone remembers ads and that from the 90s. Yeah. They're not great. Hmm. It's like the Louis the Fly song. Yeah. I still remember the reading and writing hotline number. Exactly. Why do we need that? We don't need that. I can read. (laughs) And write. So Khan leaves Lamont a coin after he's like, you should join me. He's like, no, you're a fucking crazy villain dude. He, He leaves him a coin made out of impure uranium. And Lamont and the scientist from the start... Work out that he's trying to build an atom bomb. Timing things well, Lamont around this time learns Margot's war invented dad has gone crazy like a man possessed. That's a clue, you see. Hmm. Um, Kai, did you like the billboard they keep using, speaking of camel cigarettes? Llamas. Llamas was great. I'd climb a mountain for a llama. Because they could not use the I'd walk a mile for a camel billboard of this era in this film. (laughs) Everyone knew. We, We all knew. Yeah, that was um, the whole thing. Somewhere around this part of the movie, Khan hypnotizes Margot into killing the Shadow. Mm. Um, Khan knows who the Shadow is, but she does not. But I also like his way of like doing it. 
where he's like, you're going to kill the shadow. And she's like, I don't know who that is. And he's like, you're going to be fine. Go kill the shadow. He's and like, I'm hypnotizing you like, with information. Whoa. <laughs> and it's fucking foreshadowy as hell that she shoots the <laughs> reflection of him in the mirror. Because mm. that, that, you know, that comes back around. But yeah, when she snaps out of it, she's like, I was sent to kill the shadow and you're Lamont Cranston and now I'm reading your mind and your mind is like, oh fuck, she just worked it out. So, <laughs> and he's like, how about you go to bed? I do like that he's like, hysterical woman, go to bed. At least he didn't slap the shit out of her, which is what people of the era would have done. They would have lobotomized her, strapped her to a vibrator machine and fucking off she went. Women have not been treated well yet. <laughs> I can't put a date on it because there isn't one. That's it. Next time it's, I'm hysterical, if you go, hey, go take a nap, I would... I know for a fact you. that's what you would want to do. I'd be like, okay, no argument here. Good night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she works out the secret. The two of them, with a bit of help from Shreve, uh, you know, he's always driving them around the valet. I like his move, too, because um, she's like, why are you, like, literally a, a, a taxi on retainer for a single man? And he's like, look, bish. I owe this man my life. If he needs a lift, I don't give a fuck. I'll do it. Which is great because we've seen him be like a, a weird slave for two films now. <laughs> Especially like the delivery after he saves the first guy in the movie. He's like, I, you owe me your life now. Which, and because he's like, the shadow is a very maniacal character. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's no good. But then Shreve is like, nah, man, I'm very grateful. I'm super happy to do this. It makes you question what he did. I don't know. Like, how how did he get saved? Uh, if we if the, if there's a pulp magazine that I track down and fucking read for my own enjoyment, I will try to make it that one. I'm just like, it makes you question because like the other guy is wearing cement boots, getting thrown off a bridge, which. Because he witnessed Th- the moiety. Thanks, thanks for getting me out of that, but like... But shooting the concrete off of my foot was super dangerous. <laughs> but Shreve is just like, yep, nah, I'm down. Yeah, 100%. He's, he's ride or die, I so love that. So either LeBlanc gives really great tips, or he was like... Maybe saved his marriage, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um... So they have to stop Khan's evil plan. There isn't a huge amount of action in this movie, but I like the bits we get. Um, the The Shadow has a few run-ins with Dr. Claymore, who's Tim Curry's character. Both of those were good. Yeah. Like um, the first one, he gets death-trapped a little bit. Um, that was a fun scene. The water effect around, like, because he's invisible, the water effect around his legs wasn't as bad as I would have expected for a movie of this time. Mm-hmm. Water effects are very hard to do, notoriously. Um, and then I do like the second run in where Dr. Claymore is like so paranoid about an invisible entity that really wants to fucking kill him right now um, that he like kills himself. Oh no, he hypnotizes him into killing himself. Rude. That's one thing I do find refreshing about this character is I'm so used to um, no killing rules in my comics. Oh, they, they don't care about that here. Well, they're all 1930s mob guys. They're all dead from emphysema now anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. 100%. But yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, um, the whole invisible building twist was fun. It was a great time. Uh, the final fight had some good bits. The knife returns, which is much less exciting. But the mirror scenes were all right. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, Kyle, how much of the battle would have been of the minds or physical in that scene because it's very abrupt. Did it feel abrupt to you as a viewer with no context of what I'm about to say? 
bit. Did it feel a little sudden and weird? Yeah, it didn't mesh as well. Well, <laughs> the Hall of Mirrors set was built and they filmed a little bit. And then one night an earthquake rolled through and fucking wrecked their set. <laughs> That's why the final shots are no longer reflections of who the Shadow is, who Lamont is, his whole fucking war on crime built on the finances of being an opium fucking dealer. All that stuff is thrown out the window and it's just like one strip of mirrors right at the end. Because their set was gone. Yeah. And I kind of liked it. Honestly, like, I think it's just he looked cool with his big coat on. He did not wear in the costume anymore. Hmm. Um... But yeah, like, I feel oh, bad man, for him. because that sucks so bad. Yeah, I feel very bad for them now. And I'm like, you know what? That scene was weird, but at least they got something. Shit, man. Like, they could it could have been worse. That would have been such an expensive scene and it just, like... <laughs> Exploded. It fell over. <laughs> yeah, and I liked, I liked Khan's fate at the end of this movie as well. Mm. I thought that was fun. Did you like that bit? Um, yeah, I think it made sense within the... I don't know about how the frontal lobe stuff worked, but I do like that he's like, I am an ancestor of Genghis Khan and I need to be released from this asylum. And they're like, yeah, buddy. And like, as the doctor's walking away, you've got like Abraham Lincoln and like a bunch of other weird historic uh, mental patients. He's like, I'm the descendant of Genghis Khan. There's probably some other dude in the lunchroom later being like, I am Genghis Khan. I don't know who the fuck you are. Because it's, you know, it's a... I do like Men- the- Mental health will never be portrayed well in a fucking comic book movie. We've, we know the Joker. That's, that's trash. I like that he, you know, Lamont finally deals with someone not falling prey to his... And he manages to beat the, the, um, the dagger, which is good for him. But- Overcomes his challenges? He proves himself to be equal to and or greater than Khan. Yeah. Good, good work, buddy. How do you feel about it? About I the movie? I was going to say something, but you completely overrode. I'm sorry, but you've, so, you've yeah, ripped so me mid-sentence like three times this episode, so go on. It's your turn. No, no, I've, I've said my bit. Okay. Yeah, my notes stop at the um, the mirror breaking, so. Again, I'm surprised that it's not got more of a cult following, because it, it's a good film. With a lot of big names. Like, sure, it's it's nothing amazing, but it's good. Yeah, and I think it's too far gone now that it's not going to rise up later. No, it's not. It's not common. No, but yeah, this this is the most popularity that film's going to have. Yeah, us talking sitting, about, and it. I'm sitting here wearing socks with stationery on them, so yeah. like, it's not going to do fine. Overall, I was pretty surprised at the movie. Like, I expected it to have way more clunk to it, especially of its time. But it did a pretty good job. The CGI has a lot of age to it, and some of the matte paintings stand out. Um, but I like the miniatures and the period piece set design. A lot of period hero movies, especially Tim Burton's Batman and Dick Tracy, had a weird habit of just not filling their cities with extras. Yeah. Like, do you remember Selena and Bruce talking before they agree to, like, have Christmas dinner together and watch the Christmas lights? There's, like, eight people in the Times Square equivalent of Gotham City. Mm. It's just, it's not a very fleshed essay. But this had very packed in... It felt like a Boston metropolis, like York, yeah. which is weird because I don't think I've... It's, it's one of those things where I notice, but in like a good way, I'm like, hi, every other movie fucks up. But like, 
And even when we were watching it, my biggest complaint was that it didn't seem plausible that the Lamont Mansion was that close to the city. That was my biggest complaint with the set design. Mm. Everything else made sense. Especially because it cut out a lot of, like, the context of being a Tibet warlord and stuff. Like, we don't understand how he got a fortune. We don't... We don't get it. I think they, like, try to keep it episodic like a radio drama, but at the same time they fail immediately because no one would have known what that was. Yeah. Like. How did you feel about the soundtrack? Like, the score itself? This is going to sound really horrible. Not rememberable, which is good. It, it's yeah yeah i know what you mean it's one of those it ones where it like stand out where it feels it, it, it adds to the scene i i noticed it a bit i thought it was pretty good it was um composed by jerry goldsmith and it has that noir city meets triumphant hero vibe that we see in you know good batmans yeah um he also worked on gremlins one and two some rambos plenty of star trek la confidential milan the good one not the live action remake Apparently, his work on this film wasn't fully released until 2012. Wow. Right? And while talking about music, there was a track recorded for this movie's end credits, and it was Original Sin by Taylor Dane. Uh, This song was on MTV a lot to try to drum up hype, but for some fucking reason, the music video chose to show Khan getting defeated. Yeah. Um, Nice move on the spoilers there, champ. Um, It also reminds me of A Mostly Gone Era, which is the movie tie-in song. Um, Very 90s. I was going to ask you this question, but it kind of could be our part one homework question, honestly. And that is, do you have, like, a favorite one of these, like, shitty tie-in songs? Aside from, like, just bursting out in just fucking laughter to Sucker for Pain by, like, eight or nine people for Suicide Squad. I want to eat a peanut butter and jellyfish sandwich. That's how SNM I am, you fucking idiot. Um... I think the most, like, hit one for me would be Christina Aguilera's Reflections from Milan. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. I can't believe she did Milan and Will Ferrell's Casa Duma Padre. <laughs> what a weird jump that is. <laughs> I don't feel like that's a good answer, but that's, that's the one that, like... My answer's not a good movie, like, notoriously, but I'm pretty sure... Actually, Smashing Pumpkins were introduced to me through 97's Batman and Robin. The other one? I I think now... I, I understand that one. Hmm. Now Seal is more, like, linked to Batman. Yeah, that's come back around. But honestly, U2's song was better on that movie. Fuck you. The, the it's like the one U2 one. song I'll tolerate. I just had one that was a really good answer, and now I can't think of it. Oh, um, Big Bro from Scooby Doo. This is Big Bro, Bro. Was that for that movie, or did that already exist? Because those people just looked like that. You've got literally every Will Smith movie playing at the. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. true. Big Willie style. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Does that count? Little song at the start of that movie. The problem is. I relate that song more to Moulin Rouge than Marilyn Monroe. And I know that that's terrible, particularly for someone like me to be saying. But, like, that's where I, like, link it. Mm. 
Gangster's Paradise from Dangerous Minds is yeah. on this list here, and My Heart Will Go On from Titanic is on this list oh, here. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot that, that non-comic book movies used to do this, honestly, as dumb every as that movie, sounds. Every movie used to have Isn't it? its, like, iconic song. Hmm. Because you used to play it on Sunday, like, TV hits. And that was your promo. Yeah. Because everyone had that while they were cleaning the house. Yeah. And unfortunately, showing Khan getting killed or lobotomized in your music video did not amount enough to defeat Lion King. No. It never was going to. Um, there was no um, circle of life. No. And um, that brings us to the end of our part one of The Shadow. We have uh, more to go on to. We've covered a bit of pulp magazine. We've covered a bit of book. We've covered some movies Look, and radio. Look, 100 years. And if you tune in next week, you'll glance some of the finer things. Comic books. <laughs> ah. Back to our usual media. Yeah, that's right. So, thank you very much for joining me, Producer Kyle. Hello, I uh, have been here. Yeah. I've been your host, Toby Paul. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. Um, yeah, definitely subscribe because this is part one of something. And um, and don't forget, the seeds of crime bear bitter fruit. The shadow knows. I'll never get that impression. I can't do deep voices. <laughs> My deepest voice is me talking. Yeah. Class dismissed. Thank you, everybody.